Well, amen. 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 I told you, I told you that the day would come when the preacher would be unnecessary. Didn't I tell you that? Didn't I tell you that? Amen. Just, just don't, just, just, just don't, um, just don't let a coach get filled with the Holy Spirit. Turn loose. Amen, brother. Amen. Amen. I want to ask you to find in your Bible some of the most familiar words. You wouldn't even have to turn necessarily to read them from the pages of Scripture because you, many of you could quote these words. This is Matthew Chapter 6, and when Jesus was asked, teach us how to pray, this was his answer. You pray then in this way, our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, our sins, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We have gone over those words so many times, many of us, that they have lost their power, at least power in the sense that we get it. We haven't gotten it. We, we I'm afraid, out of familiarity, we've lost the significance of what Jesus is trying to say. If you're hopeless today, I want you to listen. If you're afraid today, I want you to listen. If you're lonely today, if you're guilty today, if there's a sadness in your heart today, please listen. Please listen. The words that Jesus gave, the instructions that Jesus gave, were intended to be big enough, pervasive enough to cover every human condition if we get it, if we get what he's saying. There's been a sense as we come into this new year of a, the Lord's calling us to prayer, calling us to seek his face. As we said, this, the matter of prayer is not, about, is not nearly so much about getting what I want from God as much as it is connecting with what the Lord wants to give to us and getting in sync with what his heart is. We sing that song and we rose to testify the truth of it. He's good. He's good. He's good enough at times to, to keep from us what we think we've got to have. We couldn't live without. He's good enough to, no, that will hurt you. That's not the best. That's not my best. But, but then he's good enough to surprise us at times with things that we know we don't deserve. He's good. And if we have that settled deep within our spirits, then, then what Jesus is saying here connects lots of different levels. Last week, we spent some time on the first part of this. Our, our Father, you start by praying this way, Jesus said. Our Father, my Father, make it, make it personal. My Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be or holy or respected, honored, revered is your name. We talked about how that there, that there are no natural-born children of God. There are creations of God. But every child of God who is a child of God, truly, has been adopted, has been picked out, has been wanted, chosen. We spent some time on that. That I didn't find the Lord, the Lord found me. I, I didn't go looking for him because I wouldn't know where to look. He found me. 
during that season of my life, your life, when we were dead, just literally graveyard dead to things spiritual. Somebody would say, I love the Lord, and we'd look at them like, well, you're a crazy person. How can you love somebody you can't see? Or they'd say, you just need to believe. Well, believe in what? Believe in who? Believe in, I don't understand that. I don't get that. The Apostle Paul would say all of us walked those tracks until there came a time when somehow, some way, the Spirit of the living God started waking something up inside us. Whereas I used to tune everything out and just check out when this talk about God came up, either as a result of driving off a, a cliff materially or emotionally or whatever happened, I just realized I couldn't do it all on my own. If I get left by myself, I will have a train wreck of a life. And I need, I need some help. And whatever it was, however he did it, but he started, he started stirring up something inside your heart to begin to look for him, to, to begin to be open to what he'd want to say. You started remembering a song you heard or a Bible verse you heard, or you remembered somebody's life that, that, that impacted your life, and, and you just began to be, find yourself beginning to be warmed to things that you used to just be cold to. Paul talks about that, that it was the grace of God that was quickening us when we were spiritually dead. And then we began to, began to realize, when did he start loving me? When did he start having kindness toward me? Was it when I started going to church? Was it when I quit cussing? Was it when I quit doing whatever it was I was doing? And then it dawns on you, wait a minute, no. He was loving me before I ever honored his name. He was loving me in the trash that my life was. He was loving me in the middle of my selfishness, in the middle of my lying, in the middle of my cheating, in the middle of my swear. All of those things. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That, that drops 18 inches. That he didn't start loving me when I started loving him. The only way that emotion of love back toward him started coming out of me is when it dawned on me that he loved me, that he was loving me. And so I responded to that. And as a part of that whole process, somewhere down the line, this person of Jesus came off the page of the Bible or came out of the pages of history and this Jesus, this, this Jesus, this, this man whose name is the most profane, feared name in the United States of America. You, you can mention any name in a school setting, in an academic setting. You can mention just about any name in a governmental public setting. And, and you, you won't have any problem. But here's how you know there's power in that one name. It's because it's so feared. It's the most it's the most feared name. Don't dare speak the name Jesus to fifth graders. Don't dare speak the name, speak the name Jesus to, to, to college freshmen. Why? 
If it's nothing, if there's nothing to that name, why, why would academicians be scared of it? Why? It's because there is power in that name. There is authority in that name. He is the king of all kings, and he is the Lord of all lords, and he doesn't have to have a Congress to vote him in. He does not have to have a Supreme Court to say, yes, that's who you are. He is who he is by the divine right of creation. The Scripture will say there are not two molecules that hold together apart from the fact that Jesus is the one who said consist. Jesus is the one who said let there be. Now, I'm, I'm getting wound up. Getting wound up, getting wound up. But all of this foolish academic expression, really smart people don't mention the name Jesus. Why are the really smart people so scared of the name Jesus if they're really that smart? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Scripture. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Boy, I don't know how I shot over the head of that rabbit as it ran off. But that, chasing that rabbit. The Scripture will say, and here we are back again, to the call to prayer and how Jesus taught us to pray. My Father who is in heaven. I honor your name. Jesus will say, if you're going to pray in a way that you're going to be heard, you start at that place of forever being a child who needs a father, who desires a father, who has been drawn to the father. And the scripture will say, John 1, verse 12, but to as many as received him, but to as many as received Jesus, to these he gave the right to be called a child of God. Moving from a creation to a son or a daughter, there is one way. And it is by way of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I am over all creations of God, but as to those who embrace, who receive as their own, Jesus as their Savior, as the one who died on the cross for your sins, paid the price for your sins, my sins, he was buried. He, wages of sin is death. He satisfied the law that was against me. But on the third day, he was raised from the dead. That's Easter. As proof that he satisfied the law of God, the law that was against me, the violations of the law that were against me. Jesus satisfied the law, and he was raised from the dead. And I put my faith, I embrace Jesus' death for my sins on the cross. I embrace the fact that he literally died. He was dead and in a tomb for those, for those parts of three days. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. Meaning that he's not stuck in history. He's not stuck at a point in time, either historically or geographically. 
He can move out of the first century into the middle of 2020, right in the middle of your life, and he can be real in your life today, as real as he was back then when he geographically walked this earth, because death couldn't hold him. The laws of physics couldn't keep him. He's able to come off the cross and out of the grave and be alive in a room and be alive in the hearts of people who have embraced him. My father, my father because of my relationship with Jesus, holy is your name. You start there. He says you start there. Start with understanding that one of the works of the Spirit of Jesus alive in you is to cause you to have that sense that he is your Abba Father, that he's not just judge, creator, ruler, arbitrator. He, he is your Father. And you know that and you feel that and you sense that because of the life of the Spirit of Jesus inside. Twice, Paul makes reference to that. He sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts crying, Abba Father. You know, it's, it's not a wrong thing in this call to prayer to have to start, to feel like you need to start at that place. Lord, I, I need to know your love for me as a father. Maybe you didn't have and haven't had an earthly father who seemed to care anything about you, even really notice you, or maybe that you never measured up in his sight. The heavenly father, your heavenly father, is not like that. He, he will say the steps of a man are ordered by the Lord. And he, the Father, delights in his way. The steps, not just the destination, not just walking across and getting the diploma or getting the degree, not just closing the multi-million dollar deal. That's when he delights in you. The steps of a good man or woman are ordered by the Lord, and he, the Lord, delights in their steps. There's not a step in your life that your father doesn't just know about but delights in. It, it, we, we, we put all the pressure on, on the graduation steps or on the business closing deal steps. But it's the steps every day throughout all our days that he delights in. I, I, that's only information. That, that's only statements unless by the Spirit of the Lord he's able to cause us to sense that and to know that. And thereby, the, the, the journey, the journey it can be as, as enjoyable as the destination, if not more so, and the walk with the Lord. Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. And then he says this, and I want to challenge you and encourage you to listen to this. And, and I, I pray that it will be clear as we walk our, our, our way through it. He says, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Jesus would say a few verses farther into Matthew chapter 6, you seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. The word seek means to crave, 
to long for, but it also means to search until you find it. Seek first. The word first means first in sequence, but first in magnitude, in prominence. Seek first and most the kingdom of God and all these. Well, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? What is it to seek the kingdom of God? What is it? What does it mean to pray, thy kingdom come? Now, the, the order of the language is that in, 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 in the, the original language of the New Testament, that they didn't have exclamation points and they didn't have bold fonts and, and, and so forth. They had to use other means to give emphasis. And one of the means was that they would put the words in the order of importance, in the order of the sentence. We typically have a subject, and then we have a verb, and then we had an, ab- ab- um, an object or adjectives or adverbs. That's, that's our English way of doing it. But when they were trying to emphasize something, these are the words of Jesus. The verb comes first. And here's how it reads. Come, your kingdom. Be done your will. It, it is spoken of as being in the imperative mood. That, that, that's the, that's the, the, the mood that a command is given in. A directive is given in. So, so it's, it's, it's saying in essence that Jesus is telling us when he tells us how to pray, you speak to your father and you say to your father, Come your kingdom. That, 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 can sound, that can sound bold, that can sound arrogant, that can sound frightfully wrong or off unless we understand what has already been put in place. We have been given the right to be called the child of God. There are rights and privileges that because Abba is your father. You have the position in his heart to come before him and to speak something just as Jesus spoke it. It's not irreverent. It's obedient. Lord, I need your kingdom. Bring your kingdom. Cause your kingdom to come. But there again... What's the kingdom? Another part of the verb, come by kingdom, it's present tense, which means it can be repetitive action, continuously cause your kingdom to come. The kingdom of God, one of these days, will be visibly manifest on this earth. Jesus will physically return and be seated on the throne of his father, David. That's the prophecy. That's what's coming. But Jesus would say, don't look for the kingdom right now to be out there. If the kingdom of God is going to happen, you're going to find the kingdom of God. You will find it within. The kingdom within. Again, so what's the kingdom? What's the kingdom? Not only the order in the, in, the, in the statement, in the clause, come thy kingdom, 
that that emphasizes that it's important for the kingdom to come, but it's also its order in the rest of the statements. These, these one follows upon another. The most important of all the statements is not deliver us from the evil one. The most important one of all the statements is not give me this day my necessary bread. The most important of all the statements in this prayer that we've maybe just worn out because we've said it so many times but don't understand what Jesus was saying, we can miss the most important part of the whole thing that sets everything else in its proper place. What is the coming of the kingdom of God? What is Jesus meaning? What is he saying? What is he saying? If you want to pray and be heard, here's how you need to pray. Think back about the person who taught you how to drive a car. When you said, I want to learn how to drive, and then the response basically was, if you want to drive, here's what you need to do. They handed you a key, but if it didn't tell you where to stick the key, you could be walking around to the tailpipe and trying to make it fit there. You could eventually find your way around to maybe a door key lock and work that. But if it didn't show you where the ignition was and how to turn the ignition, you, you would never have been able to begin to. There was, there, was, there, there was no option. That's how you did it. You, you can't drive a car until you can start a car. You need to know where, what the steering wheel does and where it is and, 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 the, and the blinkers and the, the brake and the accelerator. And I heard about a, some teenage boys, I think they were, that broke and going to steal a car. They got in the car, and instead of there just being two pedals down there, there were three. Accelerator, brake, but what's this thing? And it was a clutch. And in the meantime, while they're trying to figure out how to make the car go, the police came up, surrounded and arrested them all because they couldn't drive a clutch car. You gotta know what the part, how things, how things would work. Why, folks? Why? If we don't doubt somebody instructing us on how to drive a car or someone who would want to learn how to fly an airplane on and on and on. Why, why would we think we need to tinker with and try to come up with another way to be heard in heaven when Jesus himself, our high priest, says if you want to be heard in heaven, here's how you do it. Come, come thy kingdom. Right after the statement... My Father who is in heaven, holy is your name, come your kingdom. Here's the deal. You can't have a kingdom without a king. You can't have a kingdom without a king. But not only does the kingdom need a king, the kingdom needs the sense of the presence of the king. If he's never in the kingdom, if he's always someplace else, it's as if the kingdom has no king. Cook it all down. Bring it down to the heart of the matter. The praying for the coming of the kingdom is the prayer 
specifically that the presence of the king, King Jesus, would be made known in your heart. It's not academic. It's not just a knowing, just a, he's a footnote in history. I get this about Jesus dying on the cross. It isn't about knowing that he died on the cross. The coming of the kingdom is when you feel the presence of the Savior in your chest. You feel the presence of the resurrected Jesus working in your brain. You feel the presence of the actual Jesus giving you strength to be what you couldn't be before. Giving you a no when all you had was a yes. Giving you a yes when all you had was a no. Taking you from death into life. Calling you out of darkness and bringing you into light. Giving you a new way of thinking and feeling and being that are pleasing to, that are honoring to the king. You can know about Jesus. You can know the facts of Jesus, but still not be walking in the kingdom of Jesus in its fullest measure. Now, so for the last several months, we have been on this subject of the two prayers that can change everything in your life. The first one is, Jesus, save me. Rescue me. I'm in over my head. I've got stuff binding me and keeping me that I can't break loose from, but those things are killing me. They are robbing me. I want to be free. Jesus, save me. He has the power. That's the meaning of his name, the Savior, the Rescuer, the one who can step down in the middle of your slop, in the middle of my bondage, reach with his strong hands, take a hold of us, and pick us up and out and set us on a rock and put a new song in our heart. Jesus, save me. Not just from sin, but from the messes that I can get myself into or things that can come my way in life. Jesus, save me. The second one was, Jesus, fill me. Fill me with your presence. Fill me with your spirit. Whose, whose spirit are we talking about? The spirit of the king. You can't have a kingdom unless you have a king. And you don't have a king that's worth anything if you can't feel and sense and know that he's present in the kingdom. That's why all of this emphasis has been placed upon what happened on the day of Pentecost when the spirit of the living exalted Jesus was poured out onto ordinary people, scared, hopeless, not knowing what was to come of their lives. They had tried to follow this Jesus, and now he's dead. And we hear rumors that he's alive again, and, and then many for 40 days actually heard him teach and saw him, but they didn't have what they had to have in order to truly represent him and bear a witness of his life and ministry because they were so scared. Is there something in your life that you're scared of or scared about? Is there somebody that when they walk in the room, they just 
it just rocks your world? Is there some memory of something that has gone on that can trash your today just like it trashed your yesterday? Are there some of those invisible things that may be visible, but the impact of them is very invisible? Are there some of those things that own you, that define you, that are keeping you from being anything different than what you've always been? When Jesus says, you pray this way, come thy kingdom. Your kingdom, Lord, come. It means he's saying, you pray, you ask for the manifest presence, the actual but invisible presence of King Jesus to possess you. To possess you. It starts by receiving him as Savior and Lord. But as we've said again and again, the ones that Jesus spoke those words in Acts 1, 8 to, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses. Those were ones who already knew that he died on the cross for their sins, that he was buried that he was raised again on the third day because he was right there standing in front of them, speaking to them. But Jesus tells them in those early verses in Acts, don't leave yet. Don't go out and start trying to do stuff in my name because you don't have the power to do it. You have the desire to in some ways, but you don't have the power. Here's what will happen. My spirit will be poured out upon you, and then you shall receive power, enablement, that will be greater than your fear, that will be greater than your confusion, that will be greater than what causes you to be, to be hesitant. You'll be filled with power, and then you'll go and be my witnesses. Folks, come thy kingdom. Make your presence real. Luke eleven thirteen. if you then being evil, another word of Jesus, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much, for, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who are asking him? It's present active. It's continually asking, asking the Father to fill us with the Spirit. I, I, I want you to find the book of Acts again, and many of you have underlined these words and marked these things up. Uh, again and again, but, but I, uh, it, it's, it's just critical to, to follow and track this to see the importance of it. It's as if Jesus is saying the second thing to be aware of when you pray after you've acknowledged the Father as your Father is that you begin to pray that his kingdom would come. What is his kingdom? You can't have a kingdom without a king. And the king is of no use if you can't feel or sense the presence of the king. So the coming of the kingdom, when you pray that, when you pray, come thy kingdom, you in effect, you in essence, taking in these other scriptures that teach on the subject, that are formed on the subject, you, you are in effect praying, Lord, I need you to fill me with your spirit. To fill me with your spirit, as you did the ones in Acts, in 
in those early days when Peter was a coward and he, and, and he couldn't stand and he denied the Lord three times. That's how he was before. He's filled with the spirit of the king and now he's changed and he's bold as a lion and he's staring the devil down and he's moving forward. He's not held captive. The Lord desires that for you. But it won't just be by reading a bunch of books on freedom. It won't come from just trying to copy somebody else who you think is free. Here's the good news. Jesus is saying to all of my people who want to learn how to pray, the first thing I'm having them ask, come thy kingdom, or in effect, declaring to the Lord, Lord, as your child, I'm expecting this for me. I have the right to ask you for this. Fill me with the spirit of the king. Fill me with the spirit of the king. Look look at this. Jesus will say in Acts 1, He gathered them together, told them not to leave. But he says, you wait for what the Father, this is Acts 1-4, what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not not many days from now. And then verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Spirit has come upon you. Look over in Acts chapter 2, turn over a couple of pages. Verse 33, Peter speaking. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, Jesus, has poured forth this which you both see and hear, empowering these, these on their own very, very weak people, but now they're changed. Look down at verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is not for you, is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call unto himself. The promise of the Father was not the cross. Bible student, follower of Jesus, think about it, check it in the scripture. The promise of the Father was not the cross. The promise of the Father was not the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. The promise of the Father is not heaven. The promise of the Father in the context in which it is spoken, in these words, is that there would come a time when instead of the Spirit being around His people, there would come a time when the Spirit of God would invade the hearts of His people. That the Spirit of the King would come to indwell the subjects in the kingdom. That is at the heart, folks. When Jesus says, here's how you pray. The first request, the first cry, come thy kingdom. Now, folks, that means for you, for me individually, but that also means for folks we care about. Have you ever run into somebody you care about and they don't want to hear anything else from you? That they'd rather you just not bring, you can talk about anything except this Jesus thing. All right? That's fine. Because we're the weakest when we're doing all the talking. But when you understand that you have been given the right to ask the Father to pour out His Spirit on the ones you care about, Mama, your, your prayer can shake the world of your son or your daughter or your grandbabies. 
because it's not you anymore. It's you taking the Lord's word as your own word. Lord, I'm just asking you, cause your kingdom, cause the manifest presence of the real Jesus, not religion. I'm not asking them to go to church. I'm not thinking they need to get baptized. I'm just, they just need a dose of the presence of Jesus. Cause them, however you do it, to sense the presence of the king and cause them to respond to that, to your presence. Come, your kingdom. On my babies, on my grown babies, on the ones I care about, men to be able to pray that in businesses, ladies, professional ladies, to be able to pray that wherever you are. He's planted you in a spot that may be completely hostile in every way. But you understand who you are. Because you understand whose you are. And you understand the authority of his name and the access that you have to him. You bypass all earthly hindrances and barriers. You're going straight to the one who says, I hold the keys of David. I open and nobody closes. I close and nobody opens. You go straight to him. Lord, your kingdom. Your king. What is a kingdom? It's the, it's the presence of the king and the sense of the presence of the king and being drawn to the presence of the king so that it becomes a voluntary following of the leadership and the dominion of the king. He changes you want to. When I'm praying, Lord, bring your kingdom, I'm asking for him to put his want to in the place of my want to when it's out of whack. And when I've got ones I care about and I'm loving and they matter to me, but I'm worried about them, you're not without a way to pray. The way to pray, Jesus set it up. This is how where you start. Lord, bring your kingdom, the sense of your presence, such that those, this one I'm praying for, will know it's you and they'll be drawn to you. You, you may have not said anything to them about the things of the Lord for a year, two years, five years, six years, six months. But you can't be with them every second of the day. But you know who can. You know who, no matter how far somebody wants to run from God and turn everything off, do you know that there is no wall so thick that Jesus can't make his presence known in the middle of? There's, there's no position so high there's no situation so low that he can't just make his presence known. I heard a, years ago, heard the story of a, of a man, a, a husband, that, that was, the, the wife just got real burdened for him. She, you know, she, they, she loved him and didn't want to leave, but he, he, just, he was just dead, just dead to things in the spirit, things about God. He, you know, he's an okay guy, but he just, he's just dead, just kind of a manila folder kind of a thing, you know, just, just, just flat, dead, nothing. She got to call on his name, just asking the ladies in her prayer group to just pray for a husband that, that he would come to know the Lord, come to know the Lord. She wasn't asking him to become, all, all of a sudden become you know, a Romeo and she was Juliet and they could, they could run off together somewhere. It, it wasn't that. It wasn't. It was just he needs the Lord. There's something missing in his life. There's a gap. There's a deadness in his life that if, if the Lord just got a hold of him, came alive in him, he, he, could, he could be an incredible new person. And so these ladies got to praying. They prayed some more. 
They prayed. Some of them were judging him. His name was John. But they just went to pray. Lord, bring your presence to his life. Bring your kingdom, in effect. Bring your kingdom to his heart. <laughs> he later told his wife. She went to the prayer meeting. He's there by himself, stretched out on the couch, newspaper probably over his head, and all of a sudden, they live out in the country. He hears this. John. John. Threw the, the newspaper offside, put his head, went out, walked outside, looked around. Nobody. He went back, got back on the couch, started over again. A little bit later, John, <laughs> John. By the time the wife got home that night, that man who didn't have any time for God, didn't any, any interest in the things of God, eyes the size of silver dollars, Eyebrows way up here. You need to tell me more about this Jesus. All the women had done was pray and call his name out. Come thy kingdom. Bring your kingdom, Lord. It's not about us. It's not about a wife. It's not about a husband. Not about this or that. It's about their relationship with you. You know why some folks can't believe? It's because they can't believe. You can tell them all day long, you just need to believe. The scripture says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, by the word of Christ. The Lord, by his spirit, has the ability to speak something. It may be audible, it may be inaudible, it may be emotional, it may be something, but the Lord has the way of speaking such that when that voice from him is heard, faith then can rise seen that happen in many, many, many different situations over the years. Hardened folks, tough, already had the conclusions, already knew there was no way to know for sure that there is a God, agnostic to the 53rd power. And then the Lord does something in the way that only the Lord knows how to do it, to speak to that agnostic and say, oh yeah, how about this? Throw something at them that just completely blows to smithereens their lockdown version of this is how you can't know there is a God. You know, the Lord's smart. There's no place he can't be. There's nobody he doesn't know. There's nobody he doesn't love. And he inserts you and me in the equation to link up with his heart and call forth the coming of his kingdom and call forth the doing of his will because we as a child have the right to do that. And when we participate with him, heaven can literally come on earth. Now, that's where we're headed. I, I, you know, we've been encouraging you to get a hold of this little book, Draw the Circle, the 40-Day Prayer Challenge. Start to read it if you hadn't read it yourself. Just begin to read. Two things are going to happen, I believe. One of them is you're going to begin to sense some other people that you trust, care about, love, that you might want to invite to be a part of your prayer circle. Get them a book. Tell them to get it on eBay or Amazon. It, it, they're, not, they're not expensive. They've been out for a while. But the Lord you has used this over the years, over these last years, to encourage his people to trust him. Draw a circle around specific things. Instead of praying generally for our children, 
Let's pray generally for finances, generally for this, that, or the other thing. Draw a circle around the specifics. Sometimes we don't know that the Lord's answer to prayer because we prayed such general prayers we wouldn't know if he yeayed or nayed it. Draw a circle around it. There'll be ones that he may impress you to invite. And then the instruction, encouragement is pray about what to pray about. That you ask the Lord, what is it that you would want me to make known that my brothers or sisters in this prayer circle, we can draw the circle together around. Things in their lives, things in your life. For 40 days, for 40 days, starting in, in February, we'll begin. You, many, some have gotten it, they've already started. That, that's fine. It's not, not, it's not a legalistic kind of thing. It doesn't need to be just an Alamo City deal. I have a couple of guys that that aren't, that, that aren't that are seldom in San Antonio. They're in business. They're liable to be in India one day, L.A. the next. What? They're, they're in different places around the world. But we can, because we're, the, the, the social media and the web, it, it's, it's like it's real time and we can be close and see each other and pray together. Our, our plan is to, by the end of this month, have email to our, our circle, uh, the specific requests from the, the group, the ones in the group. And then we're going to we'll meet together, and we're going to be doing it online um, to pray and to go over the list, each one, and then to pray. Then we'll do another one halfway through and another one at the end of, the, end of things. It, it's not that you were spending every hour of every day pouring over the line items, but it is that it's been written out, it's been put before the Lord, and we're believing that the Lord is hearing what we're saying. And there are others that will be not just us praying, but others praying with us. And one of those first things that, that will be, it will be the, the beginning point as we pray for ourselves and we pray for the ones in our circle, Lord, fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your spirit. Folks, do you see that when, when the sense of the presence of the king is in place, it won't matter nearly as much when and where and how he causes his will to be done on the earth, which is the next one. Be done thy will on this earth as it is in heaven. But well, that, We got peace with that if we're sensing the presence of the king, if we're sensing the presence of Jesus. When he chooses to do, what he chooses to do, how he chooses to do it, there's peace, there's rest in that. We know it's going to happen, but we're sensing his presence. Then the thing about the daily bread. Lord, give us our daily bread, that there's, there's grace for that. There's mercy and, and patience within our hearts for that when there is the sense of the presence of the king. Folks, folks, that is why Jesus put it in this order. That is why Jesus, the first words out of his mouth, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The opportunity for the king of heaven to fill you. To, to, to saturate your life, folks. So if, if Jesus is saying that's where we begin, when was the last time you prayed that way for your wife or for your husband or for your children or for your business or for your friends or for the circumstances? If the enemy can get us to stick the key in the muffler and try to crank the car. Do you hear me? If the enemy can, yeah, I'll give you the key, but you got to figure out where it goes. Jesus is saying, here is the key. Here is the keyhole. 
you drive your car this way. My Father is in heaven. Come your kingdom. Bring your presence. Make your presence known in my life. Turn my want to into your want to. Folks, listen, think about it's hard to follow Jesus. Hard to follow. Well, it's hard to follow Jesus if you're trying to do it in your own strength. But if it is following Jesus along this line, Lord, bring your presence to me. He says that the new covenant will be that he's writing his law across our hearts. That means he changes our want to. That means that he gives us a sense of wanting to do the things that please him instead of dreading it. The greatest life is the life that's centered on Jesus. The freest life is the life that's following him. Everything else is just a cheap substitute. He says, delight yourself in the Lord. Get this. Delight yourself in the Lord. Make him a joy. Make him the joy of your life. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. How much better does it get than that? Instead of me chasing my own desires, instead of me fighting to make my thing happen, the simplest life, Lord, I surrender to you. Lord, I give to you. I love you. You're good. Thank you. And then you watch how as you live that way, he just brings stuff to you. He brings stuff to you. Deuteronomy 8, these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. You don't have to sell your soul to some grind in order to get what you think you really want. It'll suck the life right out of you. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. So here's where we start. Come your kingdom, meaning The presence of the king, the sense of the presence of the king in my life. Before I take my head off the pillow, before you take your head off the pillow, before we get make the drive, fill me with your spirit, Lord. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Fill me with your spirit. It starts there. It's it's not an adjunct. It's not an additive. It's not a multiple choice. He said, if you want to pray, here's how you pray. You start off by asking for the saying, bring your kingdom, which means the presence of Jesus. The felt, not talking head, the felt presence of the actual Jesus inside you. Knowing that he is as real as the person sitting next to you, if not more so. Sensing the, otherwise the spirit would never have had to come. He could just given us the Bible and given us history books, but the Spirit was for the purpose of making Jesus near and at hand and in us. And, and when that, that starts settling in, then you realize, whoa, now, whoa, I'm not left to my own self-will. I'm not left to my own discipline or not discipline. You know, coming to this time of the year and everybody, you know, well, not everybody, but some folks would say, man, I just... I just wish I could lose weight, you know, I gain, I gain those Christmas pounds. I just wish I, and then we hear all this stuff, even from believers, of, of I just need to discipline myself, I just need to discipline myself. What one of the expressions of the fruit of the Spirit is the spirit of self-discipline. 
What if, what, what, if, what if this whole thing about, about a diet that you've never been able to keep is because you've been trying to do it in your own strength? Well, God doesn't care about what I eat. Oh, yeah? Why does he say, ask me to bless your food? Well, what if he has the ability to raise up inside you something that you, you just you thought you couldn't live without, and he has the ability to change that and shift that so that you don't even have an appetite that for? It'd be easy, easy to lose weight if we lost our appetite for stuff, right? So, well, God wouldn't do that. How, how do you know he wouldn't do that? You are his child, and the things that have been whipping you, what if he's allowed that to happen just so finally you'd give up on yourself and just say, Lord, I can't do a thing. I can't even eat right. I can't think right. I can't talk right. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can't do anything. But Paul said, Paul said, I can do all things through the one who is giving me strength. Who is giving the Apostle Paul strength? The king of the kingdom who was operating in his spirit and in his life. He was tapping the king's strength. You and I need to learn how to tap the king's strength. That's the coming of the kingdom. Lord, thank you for this time together with these wonderful folks. Thank you, Lord, for the honesty in this place. Thank you for the freedom in this place. Thank you for the ones who are a part of our family by way of the streaming technology. But Lord, we just collectively cry out, bring your kingdom, send your kingdom, fill us with your spirit. And the ones we care about that we know are away from God and we're burdened for them, Lord, send your spirit to them. Make them know and feel and sense the presence of the living, loving, strong Jesus who has the ability to rescue and to bring into fullness of life not destroy life, not to cripple a life, not to hinder a life, but to bring a life to its full purpose and meaning. Thank you, Lord. We listen for your voice to call us deeper into this place of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here this morning. God bless you. Let's stand together. And um, prayer partners, if you'll join me here at the front, please, so we can pray with you and and we want to do that. It starts with knowing Jesus, and then it moves right into the Jesus who saves you, being the Jesus who makes his presence known as king in your heart. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, those of you who are part with us out there, wherever you are in our streaming family. We bless you in the name of Jesus as well. Come this way if we can pray with you. Don't forget your kids in the nursery. And uh, we will look forward to seeing you when we see you again. God bless you.